Several weeks ago, Paul sent us an email and said that we asked us if we'd be willing to participate in this service. And he asked if I would be willing to uh, take this passage on seeing through the eyes of Judas. And as I've looked at this passage over the last several weeks and contemplated, I've, I've recently come to the idea that this is very, a very sobering time. We say the preacher's first task is to preach the passage to himself. And so we look at this passage and we say, where am I in this passage about Judas? And what do I see in him that might be in me? It's a very sobering passage. And so we're going to look at the passage and we're going to look at the cross, at Jesus through the eyes of Judas. But I want to add a subtitle to that passage, if I may, and say this. That Jesus, Judas, was one of the twelve, yet he was a son of perdition. And we're going to look and see what that means, that Jesus being one of the twelve was indeed the son of perdition. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, beginning in verse 3, and then again in verse 47. Then Satan entered Jesus, entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. While he was speaking, a crowd came up, and a man, called, and a man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw that was what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Jesus, then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Betrayal might be the most personal the most intimate of all offenses. Because the offense of betrayal is perpetrated by someone who is very, very close to you. They say that you can only be betrayed by those you love. And so it is a violation of loyalty. It is a violation of trust. Betrayal is a violation of love. And such was the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. Even if you look at the way that Judas betrayed him, the intimacy that's there when 
Judas came up to him and entered into his space. He, not like you were on a TV show where you see a cord and you say, point to that man, is that that one over there? But Judas enters into his space, his personal space, and leans in and gives him a kiss. And Jesus' response was, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? I think about the, the feelings that Jesus must have had. And looking back upon the last three years and seeing the days and when he walked the streets of Galilee with Judas and all the other disciples to see them. What was it like for him to be betrayed by one of his close inner circle? Even though he knew he would be betrayed, what was the feeling like to be betrayed? This afternoon, we want to ask the question, how did one of the 12 become the son of perdition. The title of the son of perdition comes from Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus prayed this. He said, those whom you have given me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. The son of perdition means the one who was destined to perish. And so this afternoon, we'll focus our attention primarily on the very first verse of our text. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. Several years ago, Paul Goble and I had the privilege of going to Israel uh, with Pete Dyson on a trip that he led. If you've never been to Israel, I would encourage you to go because it's a wonderful opportunity to see the Bible in three dimensions to be able to sit on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and imagine what would it be like to have the storms there in the sea and to be able to see the waves come up and to be able to see Jesus calm the storms and calm the waves. What would it be like to sit on the hill to see Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount and to hear his words, to be able to experience the beauty in that place and be able to see the grass and be able to imagine those people there For me, it was a wonderful experience that enriched my faith because I could imagine what it was like to be there, to be among them. But Judas was actually there. He was one of the 12. Oftentimes, many times when he's referred to, he's either the one who betrayed Jesus or he's one of the 12. And those are the two ways in which we want to think of him is is either he's the one who betrays Jesus, which he does, but he's also one of the twelve. Luke 6 says this, when the day came, Jesus called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon whom he called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Mark 3 amplifies that, and he says he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Judas was one that Jesus sent out to preach in his name, to cast out demons in his name. Judas was one who was able to see all of those different things and to experience it. As one of the twelve who were called to be with Jesus, 
What would the eyes of Judas actually have seen? Blind men who can now see. Lame who can now walk. Dead who came to life. Deaf who could hear. Diseases cured. Demons cast out. Winds and storms made to be still. 5,000 fed. The temple cleansed. Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Jesus weeping over the death of Lazarus. Jesus turning water into wine at the, at the wedding in Canaan. Children welcomed into the lap of Jesus. And sins forgiven by Jesus. And yet, he betrayed him. As one of the twelve who were called to be with Jesus, what would the ears of Judas have heard? The Sermon on the Mount. The parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the prodigal son. The beauty of the Beatitudes. The depth and meaning of the Lord's Prayer. The admonition of the rich young ruler. Jesus asking the question, who do you say that I am? And hearing Peter's response, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus claiming, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus saying that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection in the life. Judas would have heard all these things as he went and spent time with Jesus for three years. And yet, he betrayed him. Being with Jesus consistently for those three years, in spite of all that he saw and in spite of all that he heard, Jesus never saw Jesus. Judas never saw Jesus for who he really was. He never addressed Jesus as Lord, but only as rabbi. It's safe to say that he missed it. In the presence of Jesus for three years, he missed all that Jesus was. He missed the most important thing about him because he did not see Jesus through the eyes of faith. But how could he miss it? If we were there, we would put ourselves and say, how could he miss it? How could he not see? How could he not see what all the apostles were able to see, what all the apostles were able to grasp? And what would give Satan an opportunity to enter into Judas? A scene from John 12, right before the six days prior to Jesus uh, going to his death, six days before the Passover, we read this. Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. And Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot 
one of the disciples, who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help, used to help himself to what was put in it. And Jesus said to him, leave her alone so that she may keep it for, what, for my day of burial. For the poor you have always with you, but you do not always have me. The passage demonstrates that Judas had two different things that allowed Satan to have an opportunity to enter into him. He had a secret sin, and he had a secret agenda. His secret sin was that although he was a treasurer, although he was the one who was trusted with the funds that would provide for Jesus' ministry and to be provide the food and everything else that they needed, he was a treasurer of that, but he was one who was a thief. He helped himself to the monies put into the mailbag. He had a secret sin, a heart of greed, a heart of avarice. Secrets are best kept in the dark. But he also had a secret agenda. Perhaps Judas was disappointed in Jesus. Possibly Jesus was not living up to Judas's expectations. Maybe Jesus was not the Messiah that Judas had hoped for. One of the possible meanings of the word Iscariot, Judas Iscariot, might be derived from the word Sicarius. The Sicarii were extremely zealous Jewish nationalists. It is plausible that Judas originally joined Jesus because he believed him to be the Messiah that would restore the kingdom to Israel. However, over time, Jesus continued to speak of a different type of a kingdom. And eventually, Judas' expectations led to his disappointment. His disappointment, disappointment may have led to his anger in his anger to bitterness, and bitterness to his betrayal. I call that the continuum of despair. We have expectations that are unmet, and we have unmet, when those unmet expectations, we become disappointed. And disappointment that's untreated and undealt with becomes anger. And anger that is not dealt with becomes bitterness. And it's not a long road from bitterness to betrayal. David Martin Lloyd-Jones speaks of it this way. He said, Judas came to Jesus because of the certain things he wanted, not because of what Christ had to give. He always had his own point of view, his own interest, and it was to further them that he kept with the disciples. He never really opened himself to receive the message because he was selfish and self-centered. What would be the circumstances in my life or your life that would cause us to distance ourselves from Jesus? What would be the circumstances that would cause us to be disappointed in who he was? Might it be a troubled marriage? Might it be that God didn't answer your prayers in a certain way with a, with a sickness of a loved one? Might it be a wayward child? a way in which God has not responded to your prayers in a matter that is satisfactory to my requirements or your requirements. 
Maybe the church has let you down. And maybe you've used this as a justification to turn your back upon Christ. Maybe it's a teaching of the church that you can't hold, and so you push Jesus away. Again, secret agendas have a way to be able to open a door that Satan can enter. And secrets find their home in the darkness. And this is what Jesus told Judas and all those who came to arrest him. The very last line in our passage says this, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Judas was with Jesus for three years, but he never saw Jesus. He never saw him through the eyes of faith. The secrets that he had gave the devil an advantage. And Satan entered into Judas, and he became the son of perdition. John 3 describes Judas and all who lack the eyes of faith to see Jesus for who he really is. It says this, and this is judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that may be clear, that may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Judas is one who loved the darkness rather than the light. But those who have eyes of faith know that what precedes that passage is even more important to us. It says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, Jesus Christ. For those who have eyes of faith, we trade the secret sin of our lives for confession and forgiveness. We bring our sin out of the darkness and into the light. And we believe this what the Scripture says, that if we are if we confess our sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have eyes of faith, we bring our sin, our secret sin, into the light. But also if we have eyes of faith, we trade the continuum of despair for the continuum of hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have a choice in our life. When we look at our circumstances. We can either chase a continuum of despair and end up, end up in with bitterness and despair, or we can see our circumstances as a means by which God is drawing us closer and closer to His throne of grace. And we end up with hope, a hope that will not disappoint. The story of Judas is indeed very sobering. He was one of the twelve. 
He walked alongside Jesus every day for three years. And yet he became the son of perdition because he did not have the eyes of faith. But for us, the eyes of faith are so beautiful because we are able to see Jesus for who he really is, to believe in him, to trust him, to take our secret sins and our secret agendas out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And for us to do that, we must be truly born again. What Judas needed it more than any other thing was to be born again, to have the Spirit come upon him and give him new life and new eyes in which to see Jesus. When Jesus died, he hung on a cross between two thieves. Two thieves who represent the two different ends of those continuum. One said, aren't you the Messiah? Take us down from here. Save us. Save yourself and save us. But the other thief says, don't you believe? Don't you trust? And he looked at Jesus and he said, he said, remember me when you bring your kingdom in. And Jesus said to him, today you will see me in paradise. The continuum of despair versus a continuum of hope. The choices between us. We must be born again. So the scripture comes to our hearts, one that we know so well. For perdition means to perish. But Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen.